As early as the fourth century, early Christians were remembering special people, often those of particular courage or remarkable faith, and remembering them as worthy of veneration. Over time, this tradition of veneration became standardized into what we now call canonization, the complex process by which the Roman Catholic authority gives someone the title of saint. As Anglicans, we have a slightly different relationship with the canonized saints, but we too hold them in great esteem as those gifted with skills and passions and abilities and we look to them as models of the Christian faith and life. Many years ago, the Episcopal Church created our own calendar of saints. And if you join us for Eucharist on Wednesdays at noon across the way in the chapel, you can hear stories of these faithful men and women of scripture and history as we celebrate someone different each week. Our calendar is called Holy Women, Holy Men. And the preface written by former presiding bishop Frank Griswold contains this. Holy Women, Holy Men seeks to give increased expression to the many and diverse ways in which Christ, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, has been present in the lives of men and women across the ages, just as Christ continues to be present in our own day. Faced with circumstances most often different from our own, these courageous souls bore witness to Christ's death-defying love in service, in holiness of life, and in challenge to existing practices and perspectives both within the church and in society. The men and women commemorated in the calendar are not simply examples of faithfulness to inspire us. They are active in their love and prayer. I love reading about the lives of the saints. Among my favorites is Joan of Arc. I had a book about St. Joan as a child that told her whole story with pictures. Uh, from her visit with from her holy visions when she was very young to her visit with King Charles to her lopping off her long braid so it wouldn't get caught in the back of her armor, wearing men's armor to be taken seriously on the battlefield, her military success, her trial for the heresy of wearing men's clothing, and her execution by burning at the stake at age 19. I was fascinated by Joan for years. She was a kid like me when all this started. And I still get a tingle of familiarity when I see her memorialized in churches and in monuments. Now, there is a big, several big differences between the Roman Catholic process of canonization that St. Joan went through and the Episcopal Church's calendar of holy women and holy men. And the biggest of those differences is that our calendar contains ordinary people whose faith drove them to do extraordinary things with the gifts they were given by God. On our calendar, we also commemorate Frederick Douglass's prophetic witness, Martin Luther's theological acumen. We remember Christina Rossetti's gift of words 
and Florence Lee Tim Oy's steadfastness in adversity. St. Joan is in there as well, and Francis, and Julian, and Augustine, and John the Baptist. Prophets and apostles and martyrs together with poets, physicians, and priests. We remember all of them and so many others who have not yet been listed. But the good folks listed in there, in holy women, holy men, are not the only saints. They are merely the ones we acknowledge in our communal calendar. My favorite All Saints Day hymn, written by children's lyricist Lesbia Scott, says, they lived not only in ages past, there are hundreds of thousands still. The world is bright with the joyous saints who love to do Jesus' will. You can meet them in school or in lanes or at sea or in church or in trains or in shops or at tea. The saints of God are folk like me, and I mean to be one too. The world, my friends, is bright with the joyous saints. Those we encounter at shops or at tea, those we love deeply but have gone before us, and those saints that we are every day as we strive to carry out Jesus's will for our lives and for our world. Our gospel this morning from Luke is a part of Jesus's Sermon on the Plain. And we hear in it Jesus's Beatitudes, those blessed bees. And we hear them in Matthew as well, but Luke adds the complexity of the woes after the blessings. I read a wonderful tidbit about those woes by New Testament scholar Matt Skinner. The word commonly translated as blessed is the Greek word makarios. It can be translated as happy, but it's more focused than that. Makarios is more accurately unburdened or satisfied. Conversely, the Greek word ui we've translated as woe, but it's not the same as cursed. It's more like, yikes. It's more of a characterization than kind of a generalized blanket damnation. You who are poor, hungry, or reviled have already been unburdened. You have already been released. But you who are rich or stuffed or have more than your share or you who are mocking, yikes. Get your act together. Jesus follows this message of comfort and warning with a reminder then of how we are to treat others in this new way of being. And the long and short of it is we are to love first, share first, pray first, give first, and the rest with some amount of work and care on our part, the rest will fall into place. This is how we become makarios, blessed, unburdened, satisfied. And this, my friends, is the work of the saints. 
In just a few minutes, we are going to baptize two new little ones into the community of Christ Church, our own little beam of saintly light. And the minute we all promise to support them in their life in Christ, we together join their cloud of witnesses here on earth. And we, along with those in heaven, will watch them and hold them and teach them and love them and raise them up to be saints themselves. What a powerful and grace-filled responsibility that is. What an honor to be trusted in this holy work. My friends, we are saints in the making. And while it appears that I will not have the opportunity to lop off my long braid, don some armor, and ride off into battle like St. Joan did, it's probably for the best. You may not ever pen something as beautiful as Christina Rossetti's Love Came Down, and that's okay, because we are still saints in the making. Together, my fellow saints, we will mourn and we will laugh. We will be unburdened and we will be yikes. We will raise up these babies. We will feed those who come to us hungry. We might have to remind each other to love our enemies. We might have to remind each other to give away our extra coats, but when we do so, we will do it with kindness and concern. We are saints in the making. Later this week, after we've baptized these little cuties and after we remember tonight our lost loved ones, we will perform another liturgy, a secular one. We will exercise our hard-fought right to elect those who lead our local and national governments. And then we will watch nervously as our guys win or lose. And in these complicated days, we will hope for a peaceful transition in the weeks that follow. It's no secret that the results of these elections could shift the direction of our country, could shift the ways that rights are protected or restricted. It might feel dark and terrible afterwards. It might be dark and terrible afterwards. And we are saints in the making. The outcome of a secular election might change our country, but it does not change who we are, how much love we give, or how much love we receive. It does not change our worth or our ability to be the change the world needs. The world, my friend, is, friends, is bright with the joyous saints who love to do Jesus' will. And if the world is dark and terrible, we just need to shine all the more brightly, not in order to get our names canonized or to be listed among the holy women and holy men of our tradition, but in order that these two little ones and all those who come after them and have gone before will remember that they were raised to the light of Christ by people who cared about them deeply and cared about the world they were living in. Blessed, blessed, 
Blessed are we for this life of faith. Amen. Amen.